0: Not as loud as last time. Let's pray as we get started. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us. You are our king, Lord. We come in and we worship before you, Lord, and we go through, you know, the week, God, and you know how difficult it is in each person because you know each person so intimately what they dealt with this week, what they've dealt with this morning, what they're dealing with now. Lord, I pray that you would be with those who need your hand right now. All of us do, but we have those in the body who are sick, those in the body who are struggling, those who are dealing with issues related to uh, pregnancy, dealing with issues related to disease. Lord, those who can't be here today for different reasons, pray you be with them. But God, I pray you just settle our hearts to study your word. And to see the importance of studying your word this morning, Lord, as we learn who we are in you. Jesus, we love you in your name. Amen. Come on, Jeff. Right here, buddy. I can't. I'll get all weird if I don't have it in the right spot for me. So my first days of of law school, uh, I met a man who would become one of my closest friends. Uh, we would raise our families together. By and large, serve a church together. Uh, eventually, we become partners in a law firm in East Tennessee. Uh, he's from East Tennessee. He's a country boy out in East Tennessee. Uh, my wife and his wife became very good friends. She actually became very good friends with his cousin too. Same person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. They were second cousins. It's not the sec- no. They weren't. They weren't. They were Oh, anyway, his name is will actually his name is Dennis Roach the second, but his dad always called him Will because he liked Willie Mays. But when I first met him, he introduced himself as Dennis. Okay. He introduced himself as Dennis. So obviously I called him Dennis for the first couple of weeks I know him knew him until he decided he didn't want to go by Dennis anymore. He wanted to go back to going by Will. Uh, This is what he'd been going by his whole life. Uh, And so going by Dennis for a couple weeks wasn't working, but it also wasn't a random event. There's a reason I'm telling you this story. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) This guy's named Dennis, he's named, well, we don't care. Okay, listen, he was doing this thing at the time where he was trying out this new style. So it involved his name and then it involved like, he was trying to change the clothes that he wore. Like, I think there was a cowboy hat and a belt buckle at one point involved and like, bolo tie and you know he just tried to do this thing he wants to change his image wants to change his image because he's I guess because he's in law school now and he's going to become a liar lawyer and he's gonna that one's just so easy right um uh, anyway Uh, He explained to me he's going through, right? I'm trying to do this thing and like, kind of, I want to maybe have a new style, a new image and and, and whatever. And I'm thinking the only image that you are creating with me is that you are a weirdo, right? (laughs) Like that you're trying to like do this thing and create this image. And he is a weirdo, by the way. Will is a weirdo. Anybody, if you're watching from Tennessee this morning, you know what I'm talking about. And Will, if you're watching, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Most lovable weirdo you'll ever meet, by the way. But he wanted to put out an image, an image to people. He wants to show something to the world about himself and something different than sort of the image he had always had. Now, the fact is in Will's case, that image didn't fit, it didn't work, and in no time at all, he was back to being old silly Willie, as we called him. And he has stayed silly Willie, he's the judge now, he's still silly Willie. Don't call him that in the courtroom, he wouldn't like that, but. People often put an image of themselves out that's kind of made up, sort of engineered to sort of tell everyone a story about who they are, right? And the way that we like present ourselves, we put out this image. Often it's not completely true. It's not just in like the clothes we wear or the name we want people to call us. It's kind of this whole process, how we present ourselves how we look, how we talk, what we say we value. And for many people, it's just really an attempt to put their best face forward, right? Their best face forward. Because people want to be liked. They want to be appreciated. They want to be valued. Who doesn't want to be liked, appreciated, and valued? If you don't want that, that's weird. Most of us do want that, right? We're actually made to want that. We're made to want relationship and good relationship. We want to impress people at some level with our abilities or our uniqueness, We want what people would call a good image. Now in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good image. In fact, you should want to have a good image. You should want it to be true, but you should want to have a good image. You should care at some level how you are being perceived by others because sometimes that's a way we show love to other people and courtesy in the way that we present ourselves. For instance, if you don't take a shower, for a long time, the way you present yourself isn't a courtesy to other people. Glenn. And so I no, okay, okay. had to get him, had to get him, had to get him. You take baths. Okay. Well, that's a different issue. We'll talk about. Um, I have am so going to filter caught it, filter caught it. I got a whole thing going on here, but uh, listen <laughs> for other people. They don't necessarily struggle with this whole image thing. Some people have kind of given up on it. They've said, I just don't care about it. Um, they don't necessarily work on their image at all. They're kind of comfortable being in the, not being in that business, trying to sort of look good. Um, sometimes maybe they just don't think they're that valuable. And so they don't try to do an image at all. It's kind of this pendulum, right? It can go one way where you're like overly concerned with image, what I call shiny people. You know a shiny person because in some cases they're actually sort of shiny, like they've they have they have buffed and scrubbed and done every and it's just like woo that person's shiny like their image has become so important to them that it's clear that hours and hours and hours probably of every day are spent on that right. You probably think that about me. This actually is really easy. I do this quickly. (laughs) You're shiny. No, yeah, no one thinks that. Um, There are people who do that, right? And there's other people who are like, they just don't value themselves at all. And so they almost think badly of themselves. And so they don't put an image on at all. It can swing both ways. But I have noticed that this affects both men and women. But there's a particular way that it affects men. We started this series called Identity last week. and, And the full title is Identity, Discovering Who and Why You Are. And this week we're studying men. Now, some of the things we talk about certainly will affect or apply to women as well, uh, but many of the things we discuss uh, are really aimed sort of at men and the particular way that men deal with this issue of image. Okay, there's a lot of things I would love to talk to men about, but I don't. that would be a really, really long sermon. So this one's just going to be a pretty long sermon, and it's going to focus on men and the way that they understand and deal with image. And if you're, a, if you're not a man, you're a woman or you're a young person that's not a man yet, um, this will maybe help you understand a little bit about the men in your life and maybe what some of the things they deal with. Lord willing, we're going to get your own study for women and our own study for children that have to do with your image and so on. This one's for men. Let's start with a great passage where the disciples are walking with Jesus. Okay, this is in Matthew. There's Bibles, by the way, in front of you if you wanna read like a paper Bible. There's one in front of you. If you don't have one at home, you need one, or you need a new one, you just worn it out. Awesome, take one of those. Um, More likely you haven't worn it out and you don't know where it is, take one of those. Those are are for you. So we're gonna be in chapter 20 of Matthew. We're gonna start in verse 28. I lied to you. We're gonna start in verse 20. Didn't lie to you, I made a mistake, okay? lawyer, liar, whatever. Here we go. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him. This came to Jesus. Okay. They're all walking along. Okay. They're, you got to get to put yourself in context. They're, they're hanging out. They're walking along. Jesus has got his disciples, but there's all these other people, men and women, followers of Christ who are around, right? This is kind of the nature of how it is a lot of times. And in this case, John and James, their mom is hanging out. So she comes to Jesus. Okay. Came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now you gotta put this in context, right? John and James, they want this. They want to be on the right and left. They can't ask for it because they're being wusses, right? So they got mommy to do it, right? (laughs) Mom, will you go ask Jesus for this for us? He really likes you. Like, we're nervous. I mean, honestly, this is crazy. This is the kind of stuff that makes me feel good about my failings. Like, I'm, because I'm a disaster like this too, right? I'd be like, mom, can you go do this for me? So that's what they're doing. So she comes, she's asking for the boys. Can you do this? But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. Tough talk, because they got no idea what's about to go down. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. Now listen, the rest of the disciples, they hear about this. Okay. There's 10 other dudes, all of whom are kind of thinking, well, I kind of thought I was going to sit on the right hand or the left hand or whatever. Right. They all have that. So it says this, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. You think? <laughs> little jealousy, little envy building up here. But Jesus called to them to himself. He's like, "All right, everybody class, sit down. We're going to talk about this." And said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, these are the unbelievers, okay? Gentiles is everyone but Jews. In this context, you're talking about every unbeliever, non-follower of Christ, non-follower of God. These are the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. And then here comes the punch to the gut, okay? It says this, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The disciples wanted greatness and glory, right? Like the Indiana Jones, movie, fortune and glory, kid, fortune and glory. That's what they wanted. Greatness and glory. They wanted authority and power. And they particularly wanted that. This is kind of the important part. This is why the other 10 weren't happy. They particularly wanted it in comparison to other people. They wanted that power. The idea is, Jesus is ruler over all things. We want to sit at the right and the left because we want to be in charge of some folks. And in this case, if they're sitting at the right and the left, that means the other 10 disciples got to sit somewhere else. So there's this idea. That they want to be not just great, but greater than other people. This is the way of the Gentiles, of the unbelievers, Jesus tells them. Those who don't honor God. Now listen, this is extremely important for everybody. But men, listen to this very carefully. The world loves ladders. Ladders. Most of you have probably used a ladder. It has a top, and it's got a bottom, and there's a bunch of rungs in between, right? You step up on The ladder and many people see the world and their place in it in terms of, or as a ladder in the secular world, people actually use the term working my way up the ladder, right? If you're at a job, you're in a corporation or whatever, you're working your way up the ladder. And what that means is you're achieving more power, more position, right? More authority, more responsibility. You're working your way up the ladder. Well, how does the ladder work? Who's on the ladder? Other people. When you work your way up the ladder, somebody's below you on the ladder and that's how people see it. Even the word position, what's your position? What's your position at the company? Even the word position implies position in relation to somebody else. What's your position? My position is here. What's the other person's position? Somewhere in comparison to you, above or below, that's the way people think about the world thought of one person being higher, one person being lower. I believe that there are many men who have the world broken up into the following categories. People they speak up to, people they speak down to, and people they sort of speak evenly with. That's, that's literally how they see the world. I speak up to these people. These people are sort of above me in position, whatever. I speak down to these people. These are the people that I'm above, and then I have kind of my peers, the people that are sort of even with me. Many men, I believe, are like that. And the way that these men feel about themselves and their value can be totally wrapped up in their perception of how many people they get to speak down to. That's where their value comes from. That's what the world tells them, and so they sort of buy into it. But Jesus kind of comes in and just absolutely devastates this notion, this idea, this system, this latter system of the world, the idea that we should seek authority and power. This is what we read. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, you want to be great? You want to have power and authority? Okay, here's how you do it. Opposite. Let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He just completely turns it around. The world's looking at things one way. Okay, this is what's important. I mean, in the Roman world, you have to understand all about it, right? Power and authority, greatness. There's people who would go around and they would have all these people that they were kind of the benefactor for that would sort of follow them around during the day. This is, this is one of those things that was going on in the ancient world, and how many people you sort of had in your entourage kind of showed how important you were, right? It was about power, authority, position. One of the main anxieties of men, as is true of women, as of children, and so on, but of men, is their worth. In the case of men, they often measure their worth by their status. That is, where they are on the ladder. And Jesus says, the bottom of the ladder is the only place for a Christ follower to be. He says that we are to serve and love as he served and loved. That's that's bigger than you think it is. That's a massive, massive hit to our worldly thoughts about how things work. Now, there are three distinct ways that I know that men struggle with this. Number one, I'm a man, and I've struggled with this. Number two, I have known a lot of other men and seen that they struggle with this. And number three, Scripture gives some very telling commands to men specifically about this. And so let's read uh, uh, just this verse that kind of applies to some other things, but if you take it and look at it and study it, you can see the application here. This is Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, this is a, man, this is a command to men specifically because husbands are men by definition, okay? You can only be a husband if you're a man, okay? Some of you might be thinking, I'm not a husband, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to me. Uh, It does matter. It does apply to you because this is a struggle that men have. That's why when you become a husband, you have to be told about it. See, the things in the Bible are there because it's the word of God and we need to learn it and know it and grow in it. When scripture gives a command, it's usually because we fail in those areas, right? Jesus, for instance, doesn't have to tell us to love those who love us. What does he have to tell us? Because we already love those who love us. Luke 6, 32-36. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is also is merciful. Scripture doesn't have to teach us the things that we already do. Hey, love the people who already love you. Like the people who already like you. It doesn't have to say that. Why? You're going to do that. What does it have to say? It has to teach us the things that are difficult, things we don't want to do, the things that in worldliness we don't naturally do. Those are the things he has to teach us. So James and John don't need a scripture verse telling them to ask for a position of honor. They already wanted to do that. They went and got mommy and they did it, right? They needed Jesus Christ to tell them to be humble and to be a servant because that was not their natural inclination. Husbands don't need a verse to tell them to treat their wives selfishly. They've been doing that for a long time. They seem to be quite good at it. As a husband, I understand that very well. What they need is a verse to tell them to love their wives. We are being told in the scripture as men, as husbands, to be like Christ to the church. And that can only be done in humility and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is pure, loving service. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Men, you're not normally out of the normal way that the world works, going to give your life for your wife as Christ gave his life for the church. You're not normally going to love your wife. Some people will say, hang on a second. Wait a second. I would take a bullet for my wife. And I do love my wife. She's really nice to me. I want you to listen carefully. Taking a bullet for your wife and going to be with Jesus is way easier than taking out the trash with a smile on your face for 50 years of marriage. It is. It is. It is. Yeah, you probably would. I'm guessing most of you would jump in front of that bullet, feel like that was the right thing to do in that moment, but loving service day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, serving this woman in love as Christ loved and served the church. That's hard. That's hard. Saying you love your wife when she's nice to you is not loving your wife in service. Loving your wife in service is loving your wife when she's not so nice. When she's wronging you, when she's doing things that really make you upset. Now, this has never happened in my marriage, but some of you I've counseled and I know that that's the way it is, but that's what loving your wife looks like. It's easy to love those who love you. It's hard to love when it's hard to love. Christ and the church, Christ and the church. You've got to think about that. What has he done for the church? What has the church been like to Christ and what has Christ been like to the church? Well, the church has not always been nice. We've done all kinds of things that make us quite unlikable. I'm part of the church and I know that about myself, but Jesus Christ has loved us and loved us so much that even knowing our failures, he gave his life for us and rose again, defeating sin and death and hell. Now, why would he do that for us? Because he loved us. That's the kind of love. The kind of love that when you're not likable, you're still serving, humbling yourself. That's the call of a man. This is important, man. The call of a man is to love the hard way. It's to love the hard way. This is not a specific command given to women in the context of marriage because it's not as hard for them to love. They got a whole thing with respect. We're going to get into that later, okay? <laughs> Your time is coming, but loving is not the thing that, that the Lord was concentrating on with them. But for you, men, which means even if you're not married, you probably have this struggle. Loving and serving is the issue. You gotta love the hard way. You gotta love when it's hard to like. You gotta serve when it's hard to serve. And if you're married, it begins with your wife. But if you're not married, you're just, you know, single or whatever, being a servant and a slave to everyone. So, so anti-world, so anti-culture, so anti-society, so hard to do. There's been a lot of ink spilled over some men who have been leaders in the church in the past several years. We've had a lot of stuff that's come out in the media. We've had a lot of stuff. A lot of people who have done a lot of talking about a, a small number of pastors who became known for a type of leadership that was abusive, that was overly authoritarian. And these men generally have been removed from leadership in most of these cases, but there was this kind of abusive and harsh and unloving. It wasn't necessarily that they were out, you know, in sexual sin or stealing money or doing things like that. They were just, they had these leadership styles that were super harsh. And it's been kind of this big topic. There's a big, uh, podcast that's really famous right now, that's really popular about one of these churches and how it went down. And what happened is these men came to believe that they needed to exercise authority over other people and that they had position, position that they were above and therefore authority. And they thought this because they were men and they were pastors. And they thought they say what's up and everybody else does it. And there have been a whole lot of hurt people left in the wake of some of these leaders, so-called leaders, because that's not leadership at all. These men forgot what it really looks like to be a man. And interestingly, some of them really overly focused on manhood and masculinity and what it meant to be a man. And those things can be important, but these guys in all that forgot what it meant to be a man of Christ. They forgot that, Leadership is about service and humility and grace and patience and loving like Jesus loved. And instead they got caught up in their own status and position and where they thought they were on the ladder. They started creating ladders in the church and being very clear about them being at the top of that ladder and everybody else being below them. And it caused a lot of damage. They crushed those who they saw as below them. Now, one of the things some of these guys did well was give young men encouragement. And young men do need encouragement and hope. Because this is a time when young men are struggling with who they are, as young women are. Frankly, as old men and old women are. This is a difficult time as we reach the end of the age. So it's a good thing. Young men, you should know you're important. And you're valuable. I talked about it last week. Everything that we talked about from the scriptures last week is true about you. You're important. You're valuable. You're made in the image and likeness of God. You were knit together in your mother's womb for good works. All of that stuff is true. But you are not more important than the people sitting next to you. And you wreck the ship if you're the kind of leader that begins to lord authority like the unbelieving Gentiles and demean the value of others. And those others often were anyone that didn't agree with them and most women, that's who they demeaned. That's who they harmed. There are two things that you should know and feel and be told and study and live in as a man in this local expression of the body of Christ at Acts Church that we demand that you know from the scriptures because we're very clear about it. One, you are important. You are valuable. And there is a real and serious plan for your life that is of eternal importance and value. Number two, that first statement is true about every other man, woman, and child in the body of Christ, not just you, not just you. Galatians three twenty six 29, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Who's heirs according to the promise? Every Christ follower. You're all heirs according to the promise. All of us, men, women, and children who are Jesus Christ are heirs according to the promise. There's no higher low. There is no ladder of value does not exist. We do have different callings, different callings as individuals, different callings as men and women. One of the callings for men that we're focusing on is to be humble servants of all. Humble servants of all. Romans 12, three through five. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now there's a counter to that too. Don't think of yourself more lowly than you ought. Think soberly, righteously, understand who you are. We studied last week how valuable you are. That's all true. How much God thinks about you. He's thought more thoughts about you than all the people in this room have ever thought in their life about anything. He is super into you and his relationship with you. You are, you are very important. So important that he died for you and rose again and is willing to let you call him Lord. That's pretty amazing. How special we are that he thought about us before the world is made. How we need us together in our mother's womb, that's all special. It's giving you valuable gifts, talents, and ability, and they're good gifts, but they do not make you higher than others. And the call, the call is not to separate yourself from your brothers and sisters on some kind of a ladder. The call is to lower yourself. If there's any kind of a ladder, it's the one that you're constantly going lower on, constantly finding new ways to serve, to humble yourself. fitting into his body, his church, to do the work of his kingdom as humble servants. Now, the world thinks being a man is all about physical and mental strength. I was reading a survey talking about how many guys are concerned about kind of faking that they have a lot of physical and mental strength because they believe that that's what other people think makes them masculine. Because the world is very worked up about those things. And there's nothing wrong with having physical and mental strength. But being tough and achieving status and power are not what the scripture is saying is what being a man is about. Jesus tells us that the real strength is in humility and service. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't lift yourself up. He lifts you up. If you try to lift yourself up, he resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. And yet the world's gonna tell you to lift yourself up. Some people hear this and they think, man, this sounds weak. It doesn't sound very manly at all. To be a servant, to be humble. You're right. It doesn't sound manly at all to the world. To the world, this is the opposite of being manly. That's what Jesus does. Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world and the world's way of thinking. We studied this in the Sermon on the Mount. We called it Right Side Up for a reason. Because we just saw constantly all these things. It's like, you've heard this. I say This. You'd look at it this way. I'm telling you it's this way. You want to love your friends and hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies. It was just over and over and over. So if the world has an idea of what it means to be a man, I can tell you almost certainly that Christ's idea is going to be something that looks like the opposite of it. If the world says, lift yourself up, puff yourself up, be in charge, Lord authority, then Jesus is going to say, no, lower yourself down, wash feet serve, love, encourage, lift others up, forgive all these things. Jesus turns the world upside down and he expects us to live his way on his path. You have to decide who you want to have the right image for. This is a decision you have to make. And this is important for every man in this room and every man who's listening online. You have to decide who you want to have the right image for. You can be manly and chase higher rungs on the ladder in the world. And let the world go, that's a manly guy. Or you can look like a real man to God. You got to decide. You can look for appreciation and power and glory and status, or you can serve God faithfully in humility and let him lift you up. We are his disciples. We are his servants. This is what he says. Listen, Luke 17, 7 through 10. And which of you having a servant, right? We're his servants. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come home, come in from the field, come at once, sit down to eat. will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, supper and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We're servants. If you feel like you've really been killing it for the Lord, you might be having the wrong attitude. How about everything we have, everything we've been given, every opportunity we have, and the power of the Holy Spirit to do it all comes from him. And so the best that we can do is to simply do what he's called us to do. And very few of us are even making that happen. I know I'm not. One day at a time, he sanctified me. But we're working on it, right? And so when we're done and we've done our thing that we're supposed to do, we come and say, Lord, we are just unprofitable servants. That's us. And I hope with all my heart to be able to say those words to Jesus Christ when I see him face to face. To just be able to say, I'm just an unprofitable servant. I hope that I did some of the things that you had called me to do. I look forward to the day when God humbles me enough so that I can see my work as it is in truth. His gifts, the power of His Holy Spirit working in me through those gifts, that I could do something for Him. And here's the beautiful thing when that day comes and I say that to God, I'm just an unprofitable servant. He's going to say back to me the words that I have been longing to hear since I was just starting to seriously follow Christ. Matthew 25:21. his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Where, where are we putting our value? What is it that you want to hear? You, the man from the world, well well done, good and faithful servant from Jesus our Lord. Because the way you live is gonna determine that. There are those who will not have much in the way of rewards because they were looking for what they could get from the world. And there are those who the world will look at and be like, he wasn't much, he didn't do much, who the Lord is gonna say, well done good and faithful servant. Those, The economy of heaven is not the economy of the world. There will be people who you have never heard of who will be rulers over cities because they were faithful and they were humble and they were effective at allowing the Holy Spirit to work through them and their gifts. And they didn't make a big deal about it and they encouraged others. I want God to see me as a man according to his commands, not as a man according to the world. I don't care if the world sees me as a man according to its perversion. What difference does that make to me? I'm Christ's, Jesus is Lord. He's my King. I wanna be your servant. I wanna be your slave because Jesus Christ, our Lord told me to love you like he loves you. That's what he told me, That's what he's telling you. Every man, who is a part of Acts Church should have that mindset towards every other person in this church. We want to be, we want to outdo each other in acts of service. Not as a competition so we're like, okay, I can compete at that then. No, no, that's not what I mean. When I face Jesus Christ, our Lord, after being a pastor and an elder in his body, in his church, there had better be women and men and children, all who are his children, all Christ followers who I have been a part of their life, who can say that they were served and honored and encouraged and lifted up and loved. If there's no such testimony, I've failed to honor God. If they say, well, he made a lot of himself. He thought he was pretty cool stuff. That's not the testimony that's going to do well for me. They say, yeah, he loved me. I know he did. That's the testimony that I want. See, here's the deal, men. If you're not a servant, you're a punter. Now my wife and I love British literature. I'm gonna explain to you what a punter is in a second. We love British literature. We like British television. Just, we're just into that kind of thing. We just like it. The British do some pretty good stuff. And one use of the word punter, there are several uses of the word punter, punter in Britain is a buyer, a shopper, okay? A purchaser, a consumer. If you are not a servant of people, you are a punter of people. A buyer, a consumer, a user. The last thing any Christ follower should be is a punter. And man, this starts with us. Apparently, we have to be specifically warned, especially as husbands, as you saw earlier, to love. Now, here's the thing. You can't love someone, not with that kind of 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. So if you get a chance to read that, you want to know what love looks like, read 1 Corinthians 13. You can't love with that kind of love and be a punter. There's no way to read about God's love for us in Christ and describe him as a user. He doesn't use us. He serves us. He loves us. He gives us everything. His own son, his life. I mean, imagine it. He came and became a human being. Why would he do? He's God for you. There's nothing consuming you, purchasing you. In that way. The only thing he purchased was our souls and our salvation with his blood. We're looking sometimes to use people for ourselves. Punter is only looking for what he can get out of someone. He may give something, a little something, but only to get something. To show affection and kindness to his wife or his friends or his boss or whoever, as long as they're giving him what he wants. But when they offend him, where he starts to see them as less valuable or whatever, he goes on to the next purchase. That's how simple it is. We treat people like this too often. There's too much of this in our lives. For men, the most obvious example, like the, like the extreme end example, is a sexual example. It's pornography. The ultimate punter is the porn addict. He literally consumes the image and images of the bodies of women so that he can gratify himself. It's the ultimate like using. Right? In that moment, that person cares nothing for the fact that they're people, made in the image and likeness of God, he cares nothing that they are valuable and important. In that moment, he doesn't care that they're someone's sister, mother, daughter, possibly someone's wife. He only cares about his own lust. It's the ultimate like using somebody else. Sexual sin is one of those places where we consume people. It's just one example, though. There's lots of others. If you lie to your wife your friend, your boss, you're using them. You're a punter. You're treating them like they're less valuable than you and don't deserve the truth. You're dishonoring them and you're dishonoring God who made them in his image and likeness. And then have integrity. Have real integrity. People are tired of you lying to them. They're tired of it. When you're lazy or apathetic or undependable, you're using people. You're a punter. Can't be dependent on won't, won't step up to do what needs to be done enough with the video games and the laziness put some time into serving other people This is what we're called to do. I didn't say it was easy. I've never said it was easy Christ is constantly calling us the stuff people are like what eat your flesh drink your blood what you know Love my enemies what carry my cross people are leaving right? It was like, where's the free bread? That was the good stuff. Can you give us more of the free bread? And he's like, no, I'll tell you what. I don't have a place to lay my head, but if you want to follow me, it looks like this. And in this case, it looks like service, humility, love. For those of you who are married, start loving your wife and your family in such a way that they can see a change, that you're more like Christ to them who gave himself up for the church you're not married just start loving the people in your life and serving the people in your life and humbling yourself to the people in your life stop trying to look better than other people stop trying to put yourself above other people think about how you can lift them up don't envy when you hear something good happen for your body don't start thinking about how that affects you or how that makes you feel bad that you haven't done that thing instead praise that person encourage that person serve that person let god lift you up don't worry about it your value isn't in that Your value is not in what you do or where you stand on any ladder. That's nonsense. That's a satanic thing. He's the one who wanted to be on the ladder. That's not for you, Christ follower. Instead, be humble and serve in Christ. Will work in your life and God will lift you up. That's who you need to be and your image needs to be in it. Ephesians 2.10. For we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's it. Hard to do, but simple to understand. This is what leadership is all about. You're supposed to be leading your families, loving and serving your families. That's what I mean when I say leading, not lording authority, not acting like you're better than or you deserve more than serving. Don't be like the Gentiles. You start with humility and love. You're not going to be a punter and there will be no punters here at Acts Church. It's the end of the age. You want to see more and more people get baptized? You want to see more and more people get discipled, come to Christ to know him? You want to do that? We better start living like he's called us to be. And men, it starts with you. It starts with you. Don't be thinking about what you deserve. Start thinking about what you can give. Don't be thinking about who you can use. Start thinking about how you can be used. How you can pour yourself out. You want to be a real man, serve the Lord, and serve those he made in his image and likeness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the men in this church. I thank you that so many of them are here with a soft heart and truly want to do what you've called them to do. Lord, I pray you take away the ideas that we've had, that we've built up from society about what masculinity and manliness means. I pray you would just take those away from us. Lord, help us to stop worried about what other people think and whether we make it according to the world and help us to start thinking about what it looks like to look like you to the world. Because you are beautiful. You are Lord. You have drawn us to want to serve you because of your beauty and the beauty of your sacrifice for us. Lord, let us like you, sacrifice ourselves, which is our reasonable service after what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that the men in this church would lead by understanding who they are in the image and likeness of you, by understanding that their identity is in you and that it is in you that we want to be seen as a man, not as in the world and the way they see it. Help us to love, help us to encourage, help us to lift others up and not lift ourselves up, Lord, that you might lift us up And that each man in this church may be able to come before you and say, I'm just an unprofitable servant. And that you might be able to say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus, we look forward to that day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.